Today's episode of Dog Nation Daily is brought to you by Engineered Solutions of Georgia. Dial 678-ESOG now for a solution to your foundation and waterproofing problems. Presented by DogNation.com, this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. Here's your host, Brandon Adams. College football, probably more so than any other sport, is kind of defined by arguments. That's kind of always been true. It used to be more true than it is now. We actually have at least some mechanism to settle this on the field now, but when I was a kid, you didn't have that at all. You had, you know, rarely the best two teams playing at the end of the season, and in kind of the era before I was born, College football, at least the best that I could tell, didn't have much of a national championship whatsoever, and the people in charge of the sport were kind of okay with that. They were making so much money that they didn't really worry about anything else, and boy, (laughs) that kind of stuff remains true even still today, but pushing that aside, that they were just sort of okay with these arguments that never came to an end, and in some respects, arguing about college football is fun. If it wasn't, I probably wouldn't have a job here, so in one respect, that's kind of good. But there is an element of certain kinds of college football conversations that are so nonsensical that if you have any kind of form of logic inside your head at all, it just sort of drives you crazy. And every now and then, I think it's appropriate to kind of call some of this kind of stuff out because some of you notice this too. And when you see it, no one else is calling it out. Sometimes you're left to wonder, wait, am I the one who's crazy? Uh, But no, I'm about to hear to tell you right now that you're not crazy. Some of the things that you've noticed being true are true. Maybe a certain degree of hypocrisy that seems to exist really is as hypocritical as you think that it is. And in 2022, maybe this doesn't matter all that much because you have a chance to settle this kind of stuff on the field. But nonetheless, nonsense should just sort of be called out for what it is, which is absolute total nonsense. But in order for you to understand what I'm saying today, we have to go back in time here for a moment. Let's go all the way back to the summer of 2018. You'll remember that year, Georgia was coming off an SEC championship, a trip to the college football playoff, and in what would have been year three for Kirby Smart, there was the hope that Georgia might be able to build off that and finally get over the hump and win a national championship. So in a way that Georgia had not been the previous year because Georgia hadn't been very good in 2016, Georgia was kind of one of the teams that were generating the most conversation in that offseason. And it wasn't always flattering. Are you familiar with Heather Dinich? She's a reporter, you know, kind of, I guess now sort of a talking head on TV for ESPN. And she was on the Feinbaum show one summer Friday. And she kind of ripped into Georgia pretty good for its non-conference schedule. Let me show you on the screen here what Heather Dinich said way back in 2018. Then I'll explain why this matters here right now. Heather Dinich, going back 2018, says of Georgia that Georgia's non-conference schedule is atrocious. Fancy word for a fancy writer type. Everybody ragged on Wisconsin last year. Well, Georgia better win every conference game it plays this year because that schedule stinks. So heavy into Georgia for a non-conference schedule. If you remember, there wasn't the additional Power 5 opponent. Now, Georgia plays Georgia Tech every single year. This is actually around the time when I started wondering, Well, if Georgia doesn't get any credit for playing Georgia Tech, then maybe it shouldn't play Tech anymore. That's around the time that I started saying that kind of thing because even with the presence of a Power 5 non-conference opponent on the schedule, you had folks like Dennis from ESPN still saying the schedule stinks. But despite the fact that Georgia had played Notre Dame in 2017, would play them again in 2019, you didn't have that additional Power 5 non-conference opponent there in 2018. So Heather Dennich was jumping up and down saying, this schedule's atrocious. Georgia would better win every SEC game because they're not proving themselves in the non-conference schedule. They're not doing that. They're not, they're, they're not making a case for themselves with what they do in their non-conference play. So therefore, even though the SEC is the best league in the country, they better dominate SEC competition because right now it's non-conference schedules that matter. And uh, Georgia's not playing a tough enough non-conference schedule to prove anything. It is atrocious. That's what was said about Georgia in 2018. So have you noticed what Georgia's done since then? I'm not saying they did this because of Heather Dinich, but pretty clearly Georgia has made a concerted effort to play big-time non-conference games. Now, the Georgia Tech game apparently doesn't count at all, so Georgia started scheduling other non-conference opponents, as I told you. The year after Heather Dinich said what she said, they played Notre Dame in 2019, then played Clemson to begin the 2021 season, and this year played Oregon to begin the year in 2022. So you might be left to assume, okay, well, Georgia got dinged in 2018 because it wasn't playing a very tough, as Heather Dinich 
would say, non-conference schedule. So therefore, Georgia has listened to the media and done what the media wanted. It's played an Oregon team that right now looks like and is one of the 10 best in the country, and Georgia beat them 49-3. to So therefore, that takes care of all of that. Georgia has now righted the wrong that the media told them they needed to do. Georgia has scheduled tougher non-conference opponents, even though it plays in the Premier League in the country. So therefore, all must be right with Georgia now. And yet it's not. The 49-3 win that Georgia has against Oregon, the most impressive win by a long shot anybody has in the entire country, all of a sudden that doesn't seem to be getting nearly as much credit as it possibly should like i noticed this uh morning here uh, on on uh, cbssports.com i noticed where dennis dodd and his uh power rankings he's now got ohio state ahead of georgia on all of this because of how dominant ohio state is and all of a sudden the fact that ohio state scuffled in its non-conference game against notre dame and georgia went out and scheduled a very tough non-conference opponent like Oregon beat them 49 to 3 somehow when Dennis Dodd from cbssports.com uh does his power rankings of who's ranked where somehow that doesn't quite get mentioned and all of that and even a supposed SEC homer like Paul Feinbaum he was on uh Sports Center on Sunday and by the way have you ever noticed that the stuff that Feinbaum says on his radio show when he's mostly talking to an SEC audience and the stuff that he says when he goes on ESPN and he's mostly talking to a national audience have you ever noticed he says different things depending on which audience he's talking to? That might be worth your attention. But but nonetheless, Feinbaum goes on SportsCenter on Sunday, and he's got Ohio State ranked number one there as well. And suddenly it seems like in 2018 when Georgia's not playing the big top 10 level non-conference opponent, that's proved that somehow Georgia's atrocious or the schedule's atrocious. And yet when Georgia does play the game against Oregon and beats them 49-3, to somehow that doesn't really matter anymore that Georgia gets penalized when it doesn't play the big game but seemingly doesn't get credit when it does play the big game. What's that about? You know, well, you know how, how come that's true? Now, if you're listening to me right now, you may be left to conclude, well, B.A., you're comparing different people. You're, you're pointing out something that Heather Dennett said negatively about Georgia in 2018 about the Georgia schedule. But you're comparing that to something that Dennis Dodd, who's a completely different person, what he's saying about Ohio State right now, or what Paul Feinbaum is saying about Ohio State right now, treating Ohio State as if it's better than Georgia. Uh, that's not the same person as Heather Dinich in 2018. So I think what you would be left to conclude is, what if we had some sort of statement from Dinich herself, the person that criticized Georgia way back in 2018? What if we had some sort of statement about from Dennis herself that sort of spoke to this level of hypocrisy? Well, it just so happens we do, because here's what she's tweeted in the last, I don't know, day or two. Remember, back in 2018, Georgia had to dominate all SEC opponents because its non-conference schedule was atrocious. But what is she saying about Ohio State right now, a team that she has ranked currently number one? Let's show this to you on the screen here for a moment. She says, I have Ohio State number one in spite of its crap schedule because they're one of the most consistently dominant teams scoring at least 49 points versus Big Ten competition. Only team in FBS that scored on 100% of its red zone drives. She's, she's counting field goals on that. And she says, C.J. Stroud makes NFL th- uh, throws that scouts should rule over. So Heather Dennich, who in 2018 knocked Georgia for not having a very good uh, non-conference schedule, uh, now all of a sudden is overlooking what Georgia has done in its non-conference slate, beating Oregon 49-3 to so she can fall all over herself, much the same way that Dennis Dodd and Paul Feinbaum and others are, to rank Ohio State number one. Now, here's the point in all this. When you watch Ohio State's game on Saturday, listen, Ohio State is a good team, and if Georgia and Ohio State play tomorrow, while I have reason to believe that Georgia have a chance to win that game, I'm not ready to fully exclude the possibility that Ohio State could win this year's national championship. That's not the point that I'm making here. But if you actually watch the game for Ohio State against Iowa, and I did, I think the thing that you're left to conclude is, is that performance isn't quite what people like Heather Dennich or Dennis Dodd or people like that are saying that it is. The fact of the matter is, I think in about half the drives that Ohio State had in that game, they were starting in Hawkeye territory because of how bad the Iowa offense is. They kept throwing interceptions, things like that. They kept giving uh, Ohio State very, very short fields. And in some of those instances, Ohio State was actually settling for field goals. Yeah, they got a dominant win. I think they won 54-10. to 10. But frankly, what Ohio State did against Iowa wasn't all that different than what Georgia did against Auburn or somebody like that. And frankly, not everybody was actually falling all over themselves to praise Georgia for games like that. And yet somehow what what Ohio State does against an Iowa team that's basically a total embarrassment, suddenly that's proof they belong there at number one. And as I said before, 
there's a point to which this is only just aggravating. It's actually not all that penalizing for Georgia because Georgia will have a chance to prove itself on the on the field. But do you ever notice? You ever notice that the SEC team is always just sort of asked to prove a little bit more? The SEC team is always graded against a slightly tougher curve. The SEC team is always, you know, kind of forced to deal with that sort of additional layer of benefit of doubt to to kind of go out there and prove something. And that somehow, some way, Ohio State, teams like that are sort of always thought, oh my gosh, they're just so dominant. Yet they weren't that dominant against Notre Dame. And if you want to do the side-by-side comparison of what Georgia did against Oregon, uh i think you see what true dominance actually looks like so here's the bottom line then we'll move on and start looking more closely at georgia florida we talked yesterday about the idea of confidence and that what we said is is that inside the georgia football building we believe that there is some justifiable confidence in place that last year georgia began a year not really knowing if it was elite or not hadn't even won the sec east the prior year but over the course of that gauntlet of a season winning week one against clemson finally get over the hump and beating a team like Alabama dominating Michigan in the uh, Orange Bowl a team that by the way had dominated this suddenly great Ohio State team uh, at the end of last regular season that Georgia proved something to itself and we believe that the confidence that it earned last year probably lingers here somewhat this year despite the fact that some of the players that contributed to that are, are, are no longer here and that we think that fans ought to have some of that confidence in Georgia too but you're going to have to conjure it up on your own. It's not going to be provided for you by anything that someone on ESPN says or somebody who writes for CBS Sports says or even, I suppose, an SEC homer like what Paul Feinbaum says if he's being asked to go on ESPN and, and kind of make the national uh, argument. That, that you're going to have to conjure up your own confidence as it relates to George. And if you're, you're going to have to be, be able to see things as they actually are and not how the media sometimes kind of wants them to be. For whatever reason and we know this to borrow a phrase was kind of made famous by somebody else that the sec's dominance is a little bit of an inconvenient truth college football would be better more financially viable if it was more of a national sport but the sec is just too dadgum good to make the big 10 or the big 12 the pac 12 the acc really be able to do that so the team like Ohio State from the other league is always going to kind of get the extra argument. The team, you know, even a team like Oregon right now almost gets the the apology for having lost 49 to 3 because it's good for college football if a team out west is suddenly very good. So if you're a Georgia fan, you sort of have to find your own level of confidence here on this. That you're not going to necessarily get the pats on the back from the media all the time. But that doesn't mean that right now Georgia isn't exactly where it's supposed to be on its way to, as we've said, go for two in 22. We think that could continue against Florida there on Saturday and another big performance from UGA. And if it happens, maybe the media will give them credit for it. Maybe they won't. But that won't mean that Georgia can't be just as dominant this year as it was last year. My name is Brandon Adams, and this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans, presented today by Engineered Solutions of Georgia. We're glad to have you with us, no matter how you get to us today, live on video, 10 a.m., Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Twitch. We start even earlier than that on our other video platform, dognation.com, the Dog Nation app right there at 945. We call it our first and 15. We take your comments. We talk Georgia football with you there, and we're always happy to do that with you. And if you can't join us on video, you can check us out on the radio at noon every single day on Athens Sports Radio 960 The Ref or as a podcast, the Apple Player, Spotify, all kinds of different ways for you to get in touch with our program. And we are happy to have you with us for all of those uh, all across the fruited plain of platforms we just try to make the show as available to you as we can. We're happy to have you with us for that today. Big thanks to our friends at Engineered Solutions of Georgia who make it possible for you there as well. I love also what they're able to do for our audience because our audience, homeowners, you know, you, you, you value your home. It's your most important financial investment, but it's also the source of so many of your memories and you know, sort of deepest connection you have to your family. And anything that threatens your home threatens you, we believe. And that's why when it rains, that water creeps into your basement, your garage, your crawl space. Seems like it hasn't rained a ton lately, but when it does, uh, you know there is obviously issues to be had if you see that water creeping to your house. And that's why our friends at Engineered Solutions of Georgia are there to help you out with all of that. They can talk you through what to do about that. And if you see those cracks showing up in your walls, down there in your basement, you know that can be the sign of a foundation issue. It can be scary. You can be worried about what that means for your home. But you shouldn't hesitate to give our friends at Engineered Solutions a call because if it's a simple fix, they're going to tell you that. And if it's something more substantial than that, then all the more reason to have ESOG on the job because they've got an entire team 
of engineers at your disposal. There's nobody else in the market that can say that for you. They can do great work. They're also proud partners of UGA, which makes it fun to do business with. Longtime friends of ours here at Dog Nation Daily. And of course, we uh, certainly appreciate your support of those who've been great supporters of ours. So make sure you give them a call. 678-ESOG-NOW. That's 678-ESOG-NOW. And that'll get you in touch with our friends at Engineered Solutions of Georgia. All right, we're going to get Connor Riley here in just a moment. One of the things I want to talk to Connor about, I'm going to actually kind of use our Around the Dog House here as a lead-in for that. It's Around the Dog House here today, uh, presented by our friends at Georgia's own credit union. And I have to tell you, while overall, generally speaking, I'm pretty happy as a Georgia fan with where Georgia sits right now, obviously ranked number one. I think far more good performances than not here thus far this season. I believe the nation's most pristine win with how it handled Oregon to begin the season. And frankly, the uh, big win against, uh, against South Carolina looks really good right now, too. But that doesn't mean that everything is rosy and perfect uh, for Georgia right now. I think you have to start considering a couple of injuries for Georgia as the kind of thing that is certainly worth your attention. And this may be one of those things where the truth sort of lies somewhere in the middle. Because here are the two kind of reactions you get as it relates to injury sometimes. You get the Nick Saban style of excuse making where suddenly you have no chance of winning if you don't have John Matchie or Jamison Williams. We've seen examples of that where, according to Nick Saban's telling of things, that any chance Alabama had to win a national championship was rendered impossible the moment those two wide receivers went down. That's an example of too far on the one side treating injuries as if they completely remove any chance you have to compete. But on the other side, there's the kind of the next man up philosophy where and you see this as a knee-jerk reaction the part of a lot of fans injury happened to next man up it's like you can't stop and even consider for a second the 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 significance of the injury the weight of the injury it's right to the whole idea of next man up but there are some players who are more difficult to replace than others and I think for Georgia right now it would be sort of a flippant level of disregard to look at Jalen Carter or A.D. Mitchell two guys for Georgia who I think based on what Kirby Smart said yesterday, we'll let you hear it in his own words here in a moment, but based on what Smart said yesterday, I think it would be you know, presumptuous to say, well, they're about to come back and play here against Florida, or maybe I don't know when they're coming back, but it certainly wasn't necessarily great news. And I, I think it's the kind of thing that's probably slightly more significant than just a next man up mentality of, if you don't have Jalen Carter, you go to the next guy. Or if you don't have A.D. Mitchell, you go to the next guy. We have seen some evidence that it's not quite as simple as that, and these guys aren't necessarily all that easy to replace. I'll give you more on that in a moment, but first, let's hear Kirby Smart kind of updating what is going on with Mitchell, what is going on with Carter, and kind of where it stands with them right now. This is Kirby from yesterday. A.D. is a high ankle sprain, and high ankle sprains, when you talk to everybody across the NFL and across college football, it's hard to pinpoint uh, a measurement. The first thing you look for is do they need to do the repair? Do they need the tightrope and then and things like Arian did? His was not uh, that kind of injury, but it is lingering. It's uh, it's a pain in the butt. So he's battling to come back and doing everything we ask. In terms of Jalen's, it's, it's the knee right now. It's MCL but uh, degree of that severity of that just depends on conditioning level how fast he can get back Uh, he's working to get back and we're hopeful to get both of them back so let me do one thing on both guys here really quickly the issue with A.D. Mitchell when he doesn't play is who's that guy at the wide receiver spot that really extends the field for you that kind of as the saying goes blows the top off a defense that's something that A.D. Mitchell has proven to be really good at. Obviously, the best example of that's the, what, 40-yard touchdown in the national championship game. But he also had, I think, an 18-yard touchdown in the game against you know Oregon to begin the season, too, that when it comes to kind of explosive plays you want from your true wide receivers, Mitchell has just proven to be really good at doing that. And George, without Mitchell, has not quite yet identified the guy who is capable of doing that, or at least consistently capable of doing that. Maybe the return from injury of Arian Smith gives you an option there in that, but it's pretty obvious that George is missing A.D. Mitchell when he's not playing, and it seems like, at least for right now, my best guess is he's not going to play against Florida either. I'll ask Connor Riley more about that in a moment. And then on the other side of the ball, when it comes to Jalen Carter, you know, the question I keep kind of coming back to as it relates to Carter is, is this an example of something that's true for Georgia this year that was not true for Georgia a year ago? in which, hey, Georgia had such a balanced defense. You had a 
Buckus Award-winning linebacker in Roquan Smith. You had a not excuse me, Nicobe Dean, who was like the next generation of Roquan Smith. You had a Buckus Award-winning linebacker in Nicobe Dean. You had a first-round pick safety in Lewis Singh. You had a defensive line that had Jordan Davis, Devontae Wyatt, Trayvon Walker. Walker was the number one overall pick. Uh, you know, Jordan Davis was a national award winner, and yet for all of these sort of superstar guys, because there was such a balance of great players in that defense. I don't know that any one player's absence would have wrecked George's chances of being as good as it turned out to be. You wouldn't have wanted to deal with one of those injuries, but did you have enough talent that you could have absorbed it? No Trayvon Walker, could you have leaned on the other guys? No Jordan Davis, could you have leaned on the other guys? No Nicobe Dean, could you have leaned on the other guys? And I think the answer is, yeah, you probably could have. That's what made George a special a year ago. There wasn't any one player who was predominantly more responsible for the success than the others were it truly was a team and yet this year it's not five first round picks in this defense that could be you know certainly a couple of first round picks in this defense maybe uh, some other guys that'll be future first round picks but right now you know Jalen Carter if healthy seemingly a top five top ten type pick he's kind of the only guy that has that level of credentialing right now I would say maybe Keely Ringo is close but not quite in the same category that Jalen Carter is and so the question that's kind of led me to ask is is Carter more of an irreplaceable player than anything that Georgia had a year ago because of how he compares to the talent that's currently around him and Georgia has been playing with Adam now for a while but Georgia's about to start playing better caliber of quarterback and certainly in a couple of weeks' time, better caliber of team than it has been playing. And you would obviously love to be fully healthy for all those games. And frankly, I just don't know when that's going to be true for Georgia. The biggest concern for me is it sounds like neither Mitchell or Carter have practiced yet. And obviously practice is a precursor to playing. It seems like right now that's not what they're doing. So this to me feels like a, a legitimate concern. Not the kind of concern, Nick Saban style, that becomes an excuse for not winning, but also not the kind of concern that you can just sort of disregard by saying next man up. The truth is probably somewhere in the middle on this. This is a story worth UGA fans' attention, and yesterday sort of seems like you didn't really get great news from that on Kirby Smart. Now, by the way, you did get more uh, from Smart than I have time to play for you right now, so if you'll go to the Dog Nation YouTube page, you can watch the entire press conference and see everything that Smart had to say about Mitchell and and, and Jalen Carter, some better news on Smile Mondon, so you can get more on that from Kirby Smart there yesterday on the Dog Nation video channels, including there at YouTube. For now, though, that's around the doghouse. And it's presented today by our friends at Georgia's Own Credit Union. Of course, Georgia's Own Credit Union's got something great for you right now. How about those Visa Signature and Platinum cards? This is the time of year when you've got a lot going on. You're maybe traveling to go to games. You're you know, getting ready for the holidays, getting stocked up for Halloween, or looking ahead to buying all the food and stuff you need for Thanksgiving, or not too soon to start thinking about Christmas there as well. And as you're doing these kinds of things, traveling and making purchases and things like that, the Visa Signature and Platinum Card is a great thing to have at your disposal because of what you get when you're buying the things you're kind of already buying anyway. Great incentives that come your way. How about some flex rewards that can be used for just about anything, like gift cards or cash back or travel or merchandise? You can also uh, earn up to $150 when you open a new Platinum or Signature Card. There are some restrictions that apply here, so you want to check out the website for more information and to find out how you can get one of these Visa Signature or Platinum Cards. Go to georgesown.org for complete details. That's Georgia's own.org for complete details on that it's great to have georgia's own credit union as a part of around the doghouse here today now before we're done uh there is a georgia player who has teamed up to kind of provide a great offer for all of you this is actually kind of a really fun new sort of sponsorship type deal but it's also just a really good experience and it kind of uh you know in concert with a uh, a great name on the georgia rosters we're going to tell you more about this here coming up uh before you're done i think you're going to like this uh here today uh but for now Let's get into everything for Georgia as it prepares for Florida, the injury situation, concerns there, what to expect from these lousy, stinking Gators on the field on Saturday, that and so much more. Let's cover all of those bases. Let's do it as what we call a Kroger Fresh Take with Connor Riley here right now. From Athens and across the SEC or wherever the recruiting trail may lead, here's a DogNation.com insider. We'll say hello to Connor Riley, Kroger Fresh Take time with him. And uh, Connor, I don't mind telling you, played some of the audio a moment ago. We don't have time to play everything that Smart said about this yesterday. But I don't know that we got great, uh, great news 
from Kirby yesterday on the Jalen Carter or A.D. Mitchell front. I don't quite know that that we did. Uh, what was your takeaway from what Smart said about both those injuries? Yeah, I, I think with Jalen, I think we're going to see him on Saturday, but it's obviously not going to be full force Jalen Carter. I think it'll be something maybe similar to the South Carolina game where they try to get him, you know, third down package. He's maybe playing 5 to 10 to 15 snaps over the course of that game, depending on how things go over the course of that game there. Uh, the A.D. Mitchell injury, I, I mean, I'm sort of left scratching my head at this point. I mean, Kirby said yesterday it was a high ankle sprain, and I had sort of thought going into the weekend, you know, maybe A.D. had that uh, that tightrope surgery that, you know, Tua made famous years ago and has become pretty commonplace with higher ankle sprain injuries. But Kirby ruled that out yesterday, and, you know, he played four snaps against Auburn, but he very clearly, uh, I, I think, has taken a step back from – where he was in terms of health at that point. So I, you know, could he be out there? Sure, he did dress against Vanderbilt. And again, he did play four snaps against against Auburn. But to expect to be the, him to be the guy that, you know, caught the game-winning touchdown or the go-ahead touchdown pass in the win against Alabama or even the, the guy that we saw in week one against Oregon, I don't think you can expect that this weekend against Florida. Yeah, I mean, I guess I'm actually a little bit surprised to hear you say that you think that Carter might even be out there on the field at all, and I'm not a medical professional, but the, the, the thing I can't quite get over on this is it just doesn't seem like he or Mitchell, either one, are practicing right now. And isn't practicing kind of a precursor to playing? Usually, yeah, but I mean, we'll find out more today as far as, you know, because they will have had two more practices when we get a chance to talk to Kirby Smart. And there's probably a pretty good chance that the, the, the long weekend off probably helped them you know, get some more time, recover a little bit more, because those updates that Kirby Smart gave us yesterday were from when they had practiced last sure. on last Thursday. And so some more time has passed there. And there is, I think, a, a potential chance. We'll know for certain, uh, I, I think, tonight. If, if, you know, if we still hear the same, uh, you know, Jalen Carter is rehabbing, he's not practicing. If A.D. Mitchell, you know, we're hopeful to get him back. If those are the same things we hear from Kirby Smart tonight, I would I would most definitely agree with you that this is not trending in the right direction for Georgia. One of the things I've talked about both before you joined us and also just kind of in the recent past here is is that last year I don't believe that Georgia had an irreplaceable player. Now Jordan Davis may have been the closest to that just because he was sort of a one man run stopping machine, but ultimately there was enough balance in the Georgia defense that you might could have existed without one of those five first round picks or you know your uh, buckets award winning linebacker and Nicobe Dean and maybe Georgia could have still been okay we haven't seen Georgia play its most important games yet do you think that on this year's team that Jalen Carter is a little bit more of what nobody was last year which is an irreplaceable player for Georgia I mean it's just hard to say that, and it's not to evade your question, but, you know, they've been, I think, fine without him. Uh, you know, I think you look, and granted, Auburn and Vanderbilt are not great teams, and they're going to play better teams going forward against Tennessee in Florida and even Mississippi State and Kentucky. I, I think, you know, obviously everyone's going to pay attention to those games. I don't know what kind of impact he's necessarily going to have, potentially, even if he were 100% healthy in that game against Tennessee and in that game against Mississippi State, just because of the way that those offenses play and that they do their best to limit what opposing pass rushers can do, get the ball out quickly, get it to the outside, not so much try and go right up the middle. Whereas, you know, maybe this Florida game, yes, you would have seen Jalen Carter had a bigger impact. And certainly in the Kentucky game with the way those two teams try to play. And so I, I think this defensive line, I, I've liked what I've seen, you know, from this group. Obviously no one right now is on the level of Jalen Carter. But Barry Alexander has really started to come on and make some impressions. And even, I think, done a nice job filling in in that third down, sort of just go after the quarterback role, doing a great job pressuring the quarterback there. Warren Brinson has had a really strong season in the interior there, playing at sort of the similar position as Jalen Carter. So, uh, you know, obviously there's no one quite as talented as Jalen Carter on this defensive line. But I think as a collective, uh, granted, again, this is fair to point out that their opponents have not been great. But in his absence, I think they've done a really strong job of really being, you know, a sum of the whole, the parts defensive line for Georgia. And on the Mitchell front, to me, this comes down to, and I'm not trying to disregard him as a player. I obviously think he's a very good player, and I think that had he been playing for this full season, we might have even taken, seen him take a additional step from where he was a year ago. 
But this simply becomes a matter to me of, hey, there's big play potential with A.D. Mitchell. Obviously, the national championship game touchdown, but he also, you know, kind of a nice touchdown against Oregon. That that the issue with Mitchell not playing is who from the wide receiver core provides that big play potential that Mitchell just seemed to have a little bit of a penchant for. That that's really the open question to be answered when he's not out there. Do you agree with that? I would I would agree with that. I, I actually think of the two, I, I think Georgia's had a harder time replacing Mitchell than it is Carter, just because Georgia doesn't have the twitchy outside receiver that they can put on the outside and who can a run past the defensive back, but then also go up over a defensive back and make the play, uh, the big play downfield. I think you know Arian Smith is a guy that can obviously run past guys, and Marcus Rosemary, Jack Saint, Dylan Bell have emerged as sort of you know nice contested catch players, but those guys can't put together the way that Mitchell has. And, you know, Ladd McConkey, uh, Dominic Blaylock, those guys operate more in the middle of the field than necessarily as true outside receivers there. And, and just having that ability, having that extra tool in your toolbox that Mitchell brings to this offense, I think it's something that this offense has sorely missed. And, and you know, yes, uh, the Georgia pass catchers did a nice job, I think, against Vanderbilt. But we're going to need to see them take another step forward in these coming games ahead because Georgia is going to have to – continue to show that offensively, hey, we're a team that can put up 42 points a game, which is roughly right about where they're at right now. And doing that without Mitchell, I do think, is a harder task. Um, fantastic. So uh, I want to get back to the Georgia-Florida on the field here in a moment. Uh, but also yesterday was kind of that weird joint statement that came out as it relates to you know, the future of this game there in Jacksonville and kind of, you know, what that means. And I know Kirby Smart talked about this a little bit last week. I, I sort of get the impression here that that this one kind of might be one of those deals where the same level of change is usually taking place everywhere else. Eventually this kind of change is going to be unavoidable for Georgia, Florida, and Jacksonville there too. Uh, you sort of get the impression that that might be the case here? Yeah, you and I, are, I think, are really on the same page in this. We both believe this game should be in Jacksonville. I think we both like the tradition that comes with this game being in Jacksonville. It makes this rivalry game unique. It is, it is both this and Texas-Florida, which I believe are the only Power 5 conference matchups that are played at a neutral site. I think, you know, there is a real allure to this, and it makes the game unique every single year, whereas if it turns into a home-and-home, you know, who's to say that this rivalry doesn't become what, like, Auburn has, where that, that rivalry has absolutely lost its luster because Auburn, over the last decade, has just not been able to hang with Georgia on the field on a consistent basis. And, look, I, I think you and I both very much see the writing on the wall. I think that statement yesterday put out by both schools only further illustrates the way this thing is probably going to end up going. This is probably going to be a home-and-home. Home. I, I think within the next decade, uh, certainly that is going to be the case. I don't know, you know, obviously the current contract runs through 2023. They have the option to extend it through 2025. We'll see how much longer they continue to play this out. But Kirby Smart really wants this game to be in Athens every other year for a recruiting advantage. That is the only reason that why it has nothing to do with the, you know, local Athens economy. It has nothing to do with, um, you know, uh, you know, wanting to see Gainesville and, and going to another locale. It has everything to do with Kirby Smart wanting an extra recruiting weekend, and I think that is ultimately the way that this is going to go. And I, I think college football as a whole is going to be worse off for it, but that's just sort of the reality in the world that we are living in. I mean, yeah, let's play this out for a second. Let's say this game is in Athens on Saturday. Georgia is about a 25 or 26-point favorite if the game is played there. Let's say the game is played in Gainesville on Saturday. Georgia's about an 18 or a 19-point favorite there. Do you think this game on this particular Saturday, if played in either Gainesville or Athens, is bigger than it seems when it's played in Jacksonville? Because I don't. And listen, I realize that my argument here is not going to win the day. I think eventually change is going to kind of sweep in here. But we all kind of picture how big it would be to have a game like this played in Athens if Florida's in the top 10 and how cool that would be you know to kind of bring that big game on campus or you know I'm sure Florida folks kind of see it as oh can you imagine finally getting a chance to to to, to beat Georgia in Gainesville just given the fact that Georgia's kind of had the the lion's share of success in recent years and I can understand why that would be true but how about in a game like this where it's one seemingly pretty bad team against one seemingly very good team to me the location of the game actually makes this game feel otherwise bigger than it would yeah, and uh, I mean, let's play devil's advocate here. Let's say, you know, Georgia loses at home to a Florida. Imagine how awful that feels, where you, you let them come in in your stadium and beat them. And I mean, I know that was the case in 1994 and 1995, but 
I, I just, I, I think, you know, we've seen so many long-standing traditions change in college football in recent years. A lot of that has been because of television and the way that the new money has introduced this. You know, rivalry, rivalry games go away and rivalry games change. And it's just not, it's not the sport that I think all of us grew up loving and falling in love with. This has become a commercialized bastard version if I can use that word here on your program, uh, of a sport that we all sort of grew up watching. And it's been consistent over the last 30 to 40 years. And sure, Alabama and Auburn, you know, used to play in Birmingham, and now they make that a home-and-home. Home. But, like, I think, you know, Georgia and Florida playing, with the exception of 94-95 in Jacksonville, every year since 1933 is one of the standout traditions we have in the sport. And to change that to get an extra recruiting weekend – like, I'm sorry, but that just doesn't do it for me. It, you know, Georgia recruits at an elite level every year. You don't need extra home games, in my opinion, to have an elite recruiting program. You know, Florida is at a top eight level right now and probably going to climb even higher under Billy Napier. You know, I, I get, you know, why Kirby wants this. I understand that recruiting is important to him. It is his modus of operandi. The only reason he wants this game moved is because of that recruiting benefit. And I'm sorry, but that's just not reason enough to change what has been the biggest rivalry game for Georgia and what has been something that means a lot to a lot of people in both South Georgia and the entire state of Georgia, Georgia Bulldogs fans in Florida. It means something to make the trip from Athens down to Jacksonville. And it's done every single year. People look forward to it. My sister, who's a graduate school student right now, she is making that trip this weekend. And to just take that away, just because let's get an extra recruiting rate in, I just think it's wrong. And I also don't think they're changing it for Kirby Smart, do you? I mean, I, I think if it eventually gets changed, it's going to be changed because everything's changed in the SEC and uh, doing away with the divisions and bringing in two extra teams and playing the nine-game schedule. I think it's just going to become too weird at that point. Now you say, what about Texas-Oklahoma? I'm, I'm not familiar enough to know what the future of that game looks like, but in this particular case – I mean, if the change happens, it's going to change because the SEC is changing. I don't believe Kirby Smart, even after a national championship, is quite powerful enough to just get this switch just because he wants to. Right. Florida has to want to get this to change as well. And, I mean, Scott Strickland has come out in, in the recent past and, and made it pretty clear that he wants this game to remain in Jacksonville. But, you know, Georgia's willing to make certain concessions, which they've certainly done so in the past. Obviously, there was a different athletic director with Greg McGarity, but – They've been willing to make concessions in the past. Uh, you know, the, move, the changing of the Auburn game with that being, you know, alternated in the home years that it takes place. Uh, even more recently, Georgia and Oklahoma, that series getting canceled at the behest of the SEC there. Uh, we've seen in the past that for Georgia to, to get certain things, they, they're willing, very willing to make those accommodations. And if Florida says, fine, you know, we want Georgia Florida to be at home and home, but we want it on our terms. I think Georgia probably would be willing to go with that because that's just sort of the way things have sort of been run at Georgia, at least in the decade plus that I have been following this program. All right, so I want to talk to you more about the game on the field here to close things out in a moment. Before that, though, let me remind folks, this is our Kroger Fresh Tag with Connor Riley here right now. And, of course, Kroger's got you covered. Everything you need for Halloween is getting close here, and you better believe my family's excited about that. I know yours probably is there, too. And so you can go to Kroger.com slash Halloween to find out about all the decor that's available or that sort of last-minute candy that you need to get, whether it's eat yourself or to give out to the kids or whatever else. There's no judgments here either way on that. But you can stop by and save in-store 20% off all the stuff you need from Halloween or if you want to start your experience online, Kroger.com slash Halloween for a lot more on that. So, Connor, to I guess kind of bring it back to the field here for a moment on Saturday, to me, the sense that I get is, is that the biggest advantage that Georgia can exploit in this game, I think, is the fact that Florida is just not very good defensively. Now, I get the sense, based on some of what's being said this week, they want to try to mask their ineffectiveness on defense by being a lot more aggressive in this game. I'd like to see Georgia be more aggressive defensively, too, for what it's worth. But, but it sounds like Florida wants to be pretty aggressive defensively to kind of mask the fact that this is barely even like a top 100 level defense in the country here right now. When I look at the biggest mismatches in the game, it's what Florida hasn't done defensively that probably stands out to me more so than anything else. Yeah, I, that's where I think you see the spread being what it is in this game. Like the Florida defense, it's just bad. It's not good. They've really struggled consistently throughout this season, no matter who the opponent is. And while I think this offense, you know, for as much as Anthony Richardson leaves to be desired as a passer, 
They're number four in terms of expected points at a, in one of the analytics departments before I get too, too mathy out there. Uh, they're a very, very potent rushing offense, but this defense is pretty horrendous and is taking a clear step back, even with, I think, having some talent there. And so even Georgia without A.D. Mitchell and some of the struggles that we saw them have in the Kent State game and later stages, the early stages of the Auburn game, and then obviously the Missouri game, I think we've seen this Georgia offense consistently enough. They're going to move the ball up and down the field. If they're able to finish drives like they have been in the games against Auburn and Vanderbilt and in the final two drives there against Missouri, I don't see a world where Georgia doesn't get to 35, 40 points. And, you know, as promising as this Florida offense is, if Georgia gets off to a quick start, as we have seen in games against, you know, Oregon, South Carolina, Vanderbilt, it's nearly impossible to come back on them when you have to play one-handed. And, that one hand that Florida has, its passing offense, is pretty clearly one of the weaker points on its team. Yeah, it should be an interesting thing to see. Connor, thanks for being here today. We'll look forward to reading a whole lot more from you there at adognation.com. I know you got some great stuff coming. And, of course, I will see you maybe for one of the final times, but I'll see you in Jacksonville here this weekend for the uh, cocktail party there for that. And, of course, we'll look forward to having you back here uh, as part of our Kroger Fresh Take on Dog Nation daily again very soon as well. Yep, looking forward to it. Thanks, Connor. Let's take a look around the rest of the league. This is SEC Through. So we talked a little bit there about the statement yesterday from Georgia and Florida. We'll actually read that to you in its entirety, and it was a ponderous one, but we'll read it to you in its entirety here coming up. And we'll go back to last week, something we did not play for you at the time, but we'll play for you today. What Kirby Smart said last week about this, making his feelings clear, but also, I guess, maybe trying to turn the temperature down on the discussion, the debate. Um, so we'll let you hear Kirby Smart in his own words about this topic here coming up in a moment. And listen, here's one of the things I'm also totally happy to acknowledge that while my feeling on this is one way, I'd like to see the game preserved. I'm also a little bit willing to acknowledge that there are a significant number of Georgia fans who don't feel that way. And I'm almost led to believe there's a growing number of Georgia fans who don't feel that way. And so while my opinion's obviously my opinion. I'm not going to pretend that my opinion is the only opinion that exists on this topic. There's a large number of people that maybe only go to home games. They want that extra value to their season ticket, or they just like the idea of seeing, you know, something they hadn't really seen a whole lot of before. There's a lot of always a lot of push for that in college football of what is that we haven't seen before. We haven't seen home and home uh, on this series since the '90s and. You know, it's, it seems like that's an argument that kind of wins out from time to time. So we'll do more on that coming up in just a moment. I also want to talk to you about our friends at Royal Caribbean. And boy, the folks at Royal Caribbean have so many great, exciting things going on right now. Obviously, you've heard us talking a lot about the upcoming Dog Nation cruise, and that's a really good thing. But you'll also remember going back to Friday, I told you about a brand new ship coming to the Royal Caribbean fleet. It's going to be sailing to begin with in January of 2024, and it's not too soon to start thinking about this. It's Icon of the Seas. This is an amazing, amazing, amazing ship. Uh, you know, one of the things you've heard me talk about before is that when you're on one of these Royal Caribbean ships, you've got water slides and things like that. But on the brand new Icon of the Seas, which actually isn't finished being built yet, but it's going to soon be finished. It's going to soon be uh, getting ready to set sail from Miami starting in January of 2024. In addition to having like water slides in the ships, something you've kind of gotten pretty used to with Royal Caribbean, you're gonna have like an essentially an entire water park on the uh, uh, ship there. It's like one of the you know the full-on neighborhoods that you have on the ship is gonna be basically like a big time water park it's just the the thing that royal caribbean is great at kind of setting that standard and pushing the envelope seemingly with each and every introduction of a new ship or new in this case class of ships the icon class of ships coming up after this of just kind of taking that cruise travel experience to the next level and obviously we're really excited about that and you can get a taste of that yourself on board independence of the seas when we sail there in april there too because the stuff that royal caribbean's made famous you get a chance to experience that too the world-class entertainment the broadway style shows the specialty restaurants all the things that kind of make a royal caribbean cruise vacation kind of a one-stop shop for everything that makes vacation fun you get all of that on board the royal caribbean cruise ship playmaker sports bar and grill you want to go to casino royale and play some of the table games and things like that all of that for you uh, you can experience that with us this upcoming April. I was talking yesterday to some of our folks. We've had an amazing response to this. This uh, upcoming Dog Nation cruise is already significantly larger than our first Dog Nation cruise, and we're only you know, we're still many many months ahead of the actual sailing date. And the biggest push for all this probably hasn't even happened yet. And we're already significantly larger 
on this cruise than we were a year ago. So I want you to be a part of it with us is there as well. Uh, give Jessica Slater a call. She is a travel agent, specially selected for us by Royal Caribbean to give you the best experience. We always think that the best way to get a great Royal Caribbean cruise vacation experience is to use a great travel agent. They just go on the ships a lot. They have that great experience, and Jessica's the best of them all. So you can give her a call, 770-718-9147. That's 770-718-9147. You can also find her online at royaldogs.com. That's a website she's made specifically for this Dog Nation cruise, royaldogs.com, and you can learn a whole lot more about that. All right, so we're going to get back to Georgia, Florida in a moment. Let's do some cruising around the SEC before we get there. Billy Lucci is a uh, well-known figure around College Station, uh, one of the guys over at texags.com, kind of like the main dude over there, I guess. And he dropped this on Twitter last night, and it got a lot of attention. Let me show you this on the screen. Maybe things are getting worse here for Texas A&M after losing to South Carolina on Saturday. This is Billy Lucci on that. Uh, Billy saying that when it rains, it pours. I've been told that at least three and perhaps four A&M players have been suspended indefinitely by Aggie head coach Jimbo Fisher, all from the true freshman ranks. Now, it's that last part of that that gets folks' attention because when he says true freshman, what he really means is Big-time, high-dollar, NIL-influenced recruits, or at least that's the way most of us hear this because we know that true freshmen all are part of that uh, 2022 signing class, number one record-setting class for Texas A&M. And apparently some of them aren't too happy right now, which is probably the least difficult thing to predict of all time. And that's what continues to be so amazing to me about this Texas A&M thing. And look, one of the reasons why I like making predictions around here is, is because it keeps my ego in check. You know, I, I like to sort of formulate our sports talk around the notion of predictions and talking about what's going to happen next. And oftentimes you find out boy, you know, uh, it just does not play out like you thought it was. And in the case of, you know, Jimbo Fisher and Texas A&M for years, y'all have kind of heard me saying that I thought eventually he was going to really build something at A&M. And even when it seemed like that wasn't happening, I still kind of doubled down on that, thought they'd beat South Carolina last week, and they didn't. But some of y'all have been right about this the entire time. Even when they signed that number one class, some of you looked at this and said, that's not going to last. These guys aren't going to be happy. They're going to be in the transfer portal within, you know, the time the season comes to an end. I mean, some of y'all were just openly saying this, and boy, it seems like that's exactly the way this is playing out. That's not what I was saying. I was kind of saying the opposite, that eventually I thought they'd be pretty good. I wasn't super high on them this year in particular, but I thought overall they would probably demonstrate some foundational-type wins that would give them something to build on maybe for, like, say, 2023 or 2024 or something like that. But right now, not even that is really happening here with this team right now. And if you take Lucci at his word, and he's pretty plugged in there, it sounds like there's even more unhappiness going on now this is also if you heard the phrase before that like uh what is it patriotism is the last refuge of a scoundrel or whatever that old time phrase is that that discipline is sort of the last refuge of a college football coach that when you're not winning games in the field the best way to kind of wave the white flag on the season is sort of crack down on discipline <laughs> and basically you know the whole idea of addition by subtraction in other words we may not be able to beat our opponents but we're going to get discipline and get toughness and 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 we're going to kind of tighten the screws here inside the program and it becomes both an excuse for why you're not winning but also an example of at least you're trying to do something jimbo fisher who many of you've kind of described as a automobile type salesman used car type salesman type person you know this is kind of sort of in that vein to me here a little bit if what Lucci's saying is true of hey i may not can beat south carolina but i can i, I can discipline some players and i can get tough with them this just sort of feels like a little bit of that you know same sort of shell game that jimbo seemingly is always playing so i thought you might you might get a kick out of that apparently things are not good in college station right now even worse than you might have imagined uh pretty interesting there on that front we're also kind of getting to that time of year in which some of these national awards are starting to give their semifinalist lists and we talked about how the georgia offensive line kind of got noticed by the joe uh, joe moore award last week kind of in that group for what might win that award by the end of the season the Jim Thorpe Award, which also goes to the nation's top defensive back. Georgia's had a Thorpe Award winner before. Uh, DeAndre Baker won this in 2018. Uh, speaking of a year that we mentioned earlier on the show, well, semifinals for that award right now is Georgia safety Christopher Smith. And it is just true. I don't know that how Smith stacks up to the other defensive backs in the country for this award right now. I don't know that. But Smith is really, really, really good and very, very, very important for Georgia. And he and Malachi Starks both are going to be really critical for a lot of these Georgia games down the stretch because when you face teams like Tennessee obviously they're going to put pressure on your safeties in particular in the passing game and your ability to cover in that 
situation is going to be really important. We've seen Smith do very well at that before, and Malachi Stark's going to be kind of called into that duty himself here in a bit there as well. So when you think about legacies, you know, we talk about, you know, Georgia being linebacker university or, in the, you know, the, throughout the years been called running back university. How many years in a row has Georgia had like an all-world safety? You know, seen last year, it's been Richard LeCount. It was J.R. Reed before that. You know, these these incredibly valuable all-American level, first-round pick level, team leader level safeties. And obviously the latest in that line is Christopher Smith, and I believe he absolutely belongs in that same conversation. So I wanted to give just a quick shout-out to him because good to see him getting some notice there from the Thorpe Award. I don't really quite know how this award stacks up towards the end of the season. I think it's probably too, too early to say but not too early to give credit to Smith for what it's already been a very good season for him. And then very quickly here, before we kind of get back to Georgia, Florida, I want to give a quick shout out to John Calipari because, listen, we've had plenty of reason to kind of mock Calipari over the years. We don't talk a ton of basketball, but I did thought that I thought this was kind of neat. Uh, Kentucky having one of its early scrimmages, whatever. And the photo here that kind of went viral was uh, a coal miner father uh, uh who obviously is working harder than any of us could ever imagine uh, getting his son bringing him the game and kind of rushing him over there and i want to read this uh, uh tweet from calipari because i think this is really good and this is an example of calipari maybe against type here doing something good for change he says my family's american dream started in clarksburg west virginia in a coal mine so this picture hits home the uh, man in the picture is a coal miner he says what i've been told after his shift he raced to be with his son and watch our team don't know who this is but i'd have tickets for him and his family at rup to be treated as vips i think that's really cool and i think just an example of i think for a lot of us what sports really is is that whether it be in a coal mine which is obviously a different level of work than i can ever comprehend but a lot of us kind of knows what it feels like to work hard or maybe work even harder than you want to and sometimes sports really does become that thing of hey this is how i stay connected i'm, I'm thankful that I mean, my dad was working at night working at the post office his dad was working at the post office and they were busy and they still found a way to get me to Georgia football games. And you know how much richer my life is because of that. And that's not coal miner. I, I get that. Uh, but, but it's still hard work. And I'm thankful that, you know, after working all week long, they still kind of found a way to get me to the game and, uh, uh, you know, you know, make sure we could have that time to stay connected together. You better believe I'm grateful of that now for that experience back then. I know that young man one day will look back on this with his own dad and kind of feel the same way. And, you know, uh, a lot of you have a similar story there and all of that. But ultimately, that's really what sports is all about. It's about the connections that we form because of that. So good for Calipari for noticing that. I thought it was kind of a nice moment and wanted to share that. We'll make that cruising around the SEC, courtesy of Royal Caribbean. And I told you about this before. I want to make sure I give a really fun shout out there on this. Uh, would you love a great deal on a great tasting pizza? Of course you would. But let me tell you why this is even more fun than maybe the typical thing we might tell you about here a little bit, because it's a new pizza deal that's also happening in a partnership with the Georgia football player that I know you love. How about Pasquale's Pizza and Amarius Mims teaming up right now to flavor up your game day spread? Y'all, this is a really, really cool thing, and I'm really happy to see Amarius Mims a part of all of this and really want to encourage you to enjoy this there as well because right now you can get an amazing, amazing deal from our friends at Pasquale's Pizza. This over the course of the next couple of weeks here, you can flavor up your game day spread with some great tasting pizza from Pasquale's Pizza and some great tasting wings there as well. Now, for me, the choice is going to be the all meat pizza a lot of y'all know uh, i don't like frou-frou you know stuff i like all meat pizza i'm gonna get the all meat pizza and the wings you can also get the meatball dunkers to go along with that there as well some incredible stuff you better believe amarius mims loves all that there as well so uh, here's what you can do uh, you can get 20 percent off your order right now when you use game day 20 that's a code that you can use there at pasqualespizza.com now if you're watching you can see this obviously on the screen pasqualespizza.com that's p-a-s-q-u-a-l-l-y-s pasqualespizza.com uh and uh you, you can also door dash it there as well and use the uh, the code game day 20 for 20 percent off there on that but if you are watching in addition to that you've got the qr code that you can use there as well so you can use that and just snap that qr code and you can be right there to take advantage of that you can go to uh, pasqualispizza.com and use the uh, game day 20 code or right there with our, our friends at doordash there as well and get 20 percent off your order so a lot of different ways to do this it's pasqualispizza.com uh, or doordash use the code game day 20 for 20 percent off your pasquale's order now this is a, a delivery opportunity here so you can order directly from the uh, Pasquale's website. 
and uh, uh, they're going to deliver it to you. This is kind of a delivery only situation. So uh, you're going to love that. It's going to be a great experience. And with our friends at Pasquale's Pizza, great pizza, some delicious wings, uh, a great uh, savings opportunity with the uh, Game Day 20 code, and uh, Marius Mims a big part of this too. So check out our friends at Pasquale's Pizza for a lot more on that and have some delicious pizza delivered to you as you flavor up your uh, game days here. Good stuff with uh, Pasquale's Pizza and our buddy uh, Marius Mims on all of that. All right, so let's get back to Georgia, Florida here for a moment. We told you about this a little earlier that yesterday it was like right as our show was ending we were kind of moving into what we call our rs andrews cool down which is kind of a comment section type thing we do at the end of the show for those of you who don't normally join us for that and as right as we were starting uh, georgia and florida kind of came out with this very ponderously worded statement that seemingly said nothing but maybe had a little bit of an implied meaning it's sort of what wasn't said that kind of carried all the weight here so i want to read you this this came out yesterday and this is why connor and i uh spent a little bit of time talking about the future of georgia florida and jack so it's because of this statement here right here both schools together say the annual game between our two universities is an important tradition at this time both programs are focused on our current seasons typically both schools begin conversations regarding future games in the series as the last contracted game nears we anticipate following that timeline when those discussions take place we will consider a multitude of factors including tradition finances future sec scheduling models with the addition of texas and oklahoma and what's best for both of our schools football programs overall so that's Georgia and Florida. I think the the key meaning and takeaway from all that is, is the door is open for the possibility in their minds that this will no longer be played in Jacksonville at some point in time in the future. And I don't know that we've ever really been there before with this, but I think you're left to conclude that we might be there now. Now, is that the kind of motivational thing that causes the Jacksonville city folks to kind of step up and pay even more money to keep the game there? Perhaps it could, but... I think the logistically right now, there's just a lot of momentum on the side of change and all of this. And there's a ton of change taking place around college football and even more change on its way to the SEC very, very soon. Now, this does coincide with obviously Kirby Smart's wish. He's made it pretty clear that he'd like for the game to be played home and home. He'd like to have that opportunity every other year to host recruits. But last week, even though he doesn't deny his feelings on this, he did attempt to try to kind of turn down the temperature on this debate a little bit. This is a slightly longer clip than we would typically play, but I wanted to give you the full context of what Kirby had to say about what his authentic feelings are about the future of the rivalry while also not trying to make too big of a deal about it when his focus is actually what's happening on the field. This is Kirby from last week. Yeah, there's really quality benefits to both, and you guys – I get it. You want to make a story. You need a story. Everybody wants to talk about it. It's really not a big debate for me. It's been made really big by the media because they've made it out to be a really big deal. Do I, I, I enjoy the pageantry of going down there playing. I enjoyed playing there as a player. I enjoy tradition. I enjoy I enjoy all those things. Um, when it comes down to it, there's a the very, very basic element of everything comes back to, number one, money, and number two, recruiting and getting good players. I firmly believe that we'll, we'll be able to sign better players by having home and home because we'll have more opportunities to get them to campus. Um, but I also think there's a financial factor that factors into that um, with, with having the game there and being able to make more money for the university possibly there. So you have to weigh both of those and make really good decisions. But I promise you it's not – I have not thought about that one second since the start of the season. And I'm not going to think about it for one second because i got to worry about coaching our team. And I'm not fighting the fight in the public forum. I'm not fighting a fight for anything. I'm worried about our team and us playing well and how we block and tackle and what plays we call and how we play special teams. That's just not a priority for me where that game is right now. I appreciate Smart's honesty on this issue. He makes it pretty clear what his feelings are, and yet he also makes it pretty clear that this is not the time to try to leverage his political power to the media to get what he wants. He's more worried about getting the win on the field as opposed to getting the win in the boardroom on this here for right now. And I think that's a fine perspective to share there on that. And I do think that Smart's voice carries a lot of weight. His opinion on this is different than mine is, admittedly. And uh, many of you would say, well, if Smart wants it, that's good enough for me. And I understand why you feel that way on that, too. Uh, but Kirby, you know, having the chance to kind of 
you know, rally support to his cause or something like that, just sort of chooses not to do that there, which I also have some respect for. So this is one of those things you're going to probably hear more about in the future. I think you kind of get the sense of which way the wind's blowing on this right now and uh, we'll kind of follow it from there. But for now, those of us who do enjoy the cocktail party will be left trying to make the most of the opportunity while it lasts. And that includes beating up on those lousy stinking gators coming up on Saturday there as well. And by the way, let me also give one more quick shout out here before we wrap things up. Our friends at the Durham Law Group, if you've been hurt or injured in an accident, you need to be made whole. You want to be, you know, uh, you know, made whole for the, what's been done to you. You want to be, have things made right for you. And that's why the Durham Law Group is a name you ought to be aware of because they don't just practice personal injury law. They define it uh, because one of the promises they make to you is you have no fees, no expenses unless you win. That's what they do for you. They don't benefit unless you benefit. And when you trust our friends, the Durham Law Group, that's the promise they're going to make to you there. Uh, doing a good job for you to fight to get you everything you deserve. If you've been hurt on the job, injured in an automobile accident or something like that, our friends, the Durham Law Group want to support you. So give them a call 844-4GA-HURT. That's 844-4GA-HURT or find them online at georgiahurt.com. That is georgiahurt.com. All right, a couple of fun golden shoes to give out to you before uh, we say goodbye today. And as you might imagine, they are cocktail party themed. Lousy, stinking gators, you better believe. Uh, we have our attention on them right now. Our buddy Mad Dog, first and fo- foremost, has a nice graphic here of the dog chasing down the gator, saying, sick him. He says, when you can't wait for Kirby, let the dogs out this weekend. Hashtag gator hater, hashtag golden shoe. Mad Dog, always so good. That another one there for him. And how about this one there as well? One of the things I love are sort of classic things as it relates to Georgia, Florida and the rivalry throughout the years. And Laura uh, shared this with me. She said, I got my lucky shirt ready. I said, I found this in my high school's lost and found 25 years ago. I wore it throughout my four years in Athens and still going strong. She says, hashtag go dogs, hashtag beat Florida, hashtag go for two in 22. And it's a great looking, uh, fun drawing of a Georgia Bulldog kind of uh, mocking the Florida Gators. That's great stuff. And Laura will make her a golden shoe winner today there as well. And we'll remind you something that Laura knows very well and Mad Dog knows too. It's been 5,038 days since those lousy, stinking Gators have won a national championship. And no matter where the Georgia-Florida game is played, that's not changing anytime soon. And our Gator-Hater countdown now stands at four days. Four days till we're back on the Florida four, uh, First Coast basking in the sunshine and enjoying another victory for the dogs against those lousy, stinking gators. That's our Gator Hater Countdown. We will see all of you tomorrow right there on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Engineered Solutions of Georgia.